Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello, welcome to the cybersecurity episode of the Equest podcast. Well, as we live our COVID-19 self-isolation lives and get used to working from home, a lot of firms are through that first phase of deploying their business continuity plan and actually being able to have all staff work from home and run a business. But for many firms, now is the time to look again at particularly the cybersecurity risks and the cybersecurity policy in place around this new working environment. Ideally, this is all done in conjunction with or even before BCP is deployed and new laptops are handed out and what have you. But if that's not the case, now is certainly the time to think again about how secure your perimeter is, how secure the devices that everybody is using, and is everybody properly trained to recognize the new risks that might exist in this working environment where we are all working from home. I'm delighted to have Shannon join me as my standing co-host on the Quest podcast to introduce a different perspective in our funds conversation. So you're going to hear plenty from Shannon throughout this podcast and our podcast into the future. And you can find out more about Shannon over at www.shannoneastman.com. Our other co-host is Sam Glynn, who is an IT advisor for regulated firms, and he runs Code in Motion. He works with firms to reduce their risk prove their efforts are compliant and get the priorities of what needs to be done now. Cybersecurity is front and center of Sam's world. We're delighted to have him on the podcast today to discuss cyber, COVID-19 and regulated firms. Tons of content to get through, all hyper-relevant for the world we live in today. So let's get on with the podcast. This is the COVID-19 cybersecurity episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Shannon Eastman and by Sam Glynn. Sam is, well, we're going to call you Sam, an IT and tech and cybersecurity expert, the right person to have in a conversation like this about COVID-19 cybersecurity issues, I think. Well, I would certainly be uh, reluctant to say expert, but yeah, I help firms that, that in the regulated space get their head around what they need to do when it comes to IT, cybersecurity and, and all of that magic all of that magic. And how is the COVID-19 super lockdown going for you? Was it easy for you and and your business to adjust to the lives that we're living today? Probably easier for me as a consultant because a lot of my work is on site with clients. So my office is wherever the client uh, needs me to be. I'm lucky enough to have a home office as well. And I found the key to the lock. So I'm able to lock the door from the inside and and keep the other inmates out while I try to get some work done. (laughs) Shannon, thanks for joining us again this week. We had you last week as well. How's your lockdown going? Grand and happy. It's pretty comfortable over here as well. I wouldn't be too dissimilar to Sam. I have remote working set up. I think I was about 50% before COVID-19. I've just become 95 or 100% now. How about you and the three kids? How's that going? Don't ask. I'm still (laughs) trying to manage them. It's funny, I did a Zoom call last week and had a chap on the other end of the video line, his little toddler came across the back of the screen and walked right through and out the other side and nobody batted an eyelid. So yeah, we're kind of getting used to this as the way of working. It's different, but it's okay. We get on with it. Yeah. So Sam, cybersecurity obviously was already an issue that was close to the top of the list for the regulator here and for regulated firms by extension. But with what's happened and how firms have kicked in their business continuity plans and are working quite differently now. Well, this has really shot up the list of list of hot topics for them. How did you find firms in terms of how well 
ready and able they were for this shift into the new normal of COVID-19 working from home? Yeah, I think you need to look at the culture, the history of the firm to assess, you know, how they reacted. I mean, some firms, the newer firms, the smaller firms would have started out when the technology to work remotely and securely existed. So that's how they started out. For larger firms, more traditional firms, more risk averse firms, they would come from a world where, well, the way you secure things is you put them in secure facilities. So you have your secure data centers, you have your perimeter security around those things, you have your secure offices, you put your staff into those things, and then you secure the perimeter of those locations. And what has happened here is, while they might have had business continuity plans to deal with an office outage of a week or two weeks, and their plans might have been, well, we have this warm standby location where we've got a certain number of desks, where our key staff can work from there. Our executives have iPads or they have laptops that they can work from home. For the majority of staff, they'll just wait it out until such time as the office gets back up and running. That would have been the traditional business continuity plan. That plan doesn't work when we have a situation where you know it's a full country shutdown lasting months. People can't get to the office even if they wanted to go. So the idea of having another secure location no longer works out. So I think for a lot of traditional firms, it's been tough because they've had to adopt very flexible working practices, having come from nothing like that. So does that include things like buying laptops overnight? (laughs) Yeah, I think I was saying that to you, Shannon, that I went through a few of these with a few clients when we saw this coming. And it was simple things like, how do we get our hands on laptops? Now, you know, if you're really under pressure, you go to a Curry's or Argos or wherever you can get a laptop. If you have a bit more time, you try to source laptops that are designed for the business environment just to make it a bit easier to secure those things and, and introduce them into your corporate world. But, you know, needs must. This did come quite quickly. Whatever about COVID itself, I think the secondary effects of like that school in the north side closing down because one kid had been to Italy skiing, that suddenly dawned on, on a lot of firms to say, well, it doesn't really matter when this illness or this pandemic comes. It's actually all of the things that are going to happen to try to minimize that that will impact people. So they have to work from home because their kids are there or whatever like that. I'm curious to know, how do you prioritize? So let's go back four weeks. You know, the kid that just came back from Italy skiing, the next Monday, there was like, okay, here's the seven things that we have to do in the next three days. Um, was there a list that existed? Was there a time frame that was that intense? Yeah, I mean, you know, firms will have a sense of, well, what are the most important business processes? You know, and, and if they've done business continuity planning, they'll have done a bit of a, impact analysis and things. So where we would have started was to say, well, what are the most important areas, the most important processes? In some cases, it depends on the time of year. So if it's the end of the quarter, then you've got one team that's important. If it's outside of that, it might be a different team. So there was a lot of of that magic of all these things floating around and trying to put shape in those things. But yeah, you got into the nuts and bolts of, well, you know, if we do have to give everyone the ability to work from home, can we give them all laptops? Do we have the ability for everybody to be given a laptop? so that that laptop can be secured to the same level that the desktops that are sitting here in the office are secured. What do we need in terms of other IT bits to keep those things secure between wherever the desktop is in someone's house right through back into the office or into the cloud or whatever? So there was a lot of technical things. And then, so you did a lot of the things you needed to do, but you also needed to try to keep in mind the security side of things because the regulator is not going to thank anybody for just opening up all systems to all people from anywhere around the world just because of this event. 
So there was a, a second phase, and hopefully the second phase happened as quickly as the first, whereby whatever solutions were put in place, the security of those solutions was considered. And in the third phase, if you were in a rush, the third phase tends to come after the first two, and the third phase is proving what you've done to prove to your stakeholders, your board members, your risk and compliance teams, your regulators, that what you have put in place very quickly and in that rush, that those things still manage the risk appropriately, do not expose the organization or customer's data to uh, significant risk. But it was an interesting time because you had the contradiction of having to move at a lightning speed while also keeping in mind the need to consider the solutions you were putting in place to make sure that you had security nailed. So in my mind, it was was like that Facebook term, the, the move fast and break things, which has got them into trouble in the past. But it was nearly kind of introducing the concept of moving fast to regulated risk averse firms and hopefully not breaking things. And what are the key risks that this brings in, both in terms of moving fast and doing things at a higher speed than you would have probably usually, for certainly for a lot of these firms, but also then that the risks that you have where everybody is working from home versus working in the same location, outside of just the fact that you can close a door and put a lock on it, you know, the use of home networks and home internet and that kind of stuff. How does all of that feed into the risk of these firms? Yeah, I mean, you'd nearly look at say, well, what did you have to change in, in your response? So, like I say, if you were already enabled remote working and things like that for some staff and you just did the same solution for more staff, then just make sure that whatever you've done for those additional staff aligns to what you've done for the, the first phase. If you've had to do it quickly, then maybe you struggle to get the appropriate tech or the appropriate devices to enable you to secure things. So simple things like somebody was given a laptop or they're told, okay, look, you can access your email from your home laptop. That introduces the idea that the corporate, the company's data within those emails is now stored on the individual's laptop or at least accessible from that laptop. So what state is that laptop in? Is, can you trust that laptop? Is it up to date? You know, does it have security software and measures on it to ensure that an unauthorized third party can't get at the data that the staff member is looking at. So if you have enabled staff to access company data from non-company devices, you've introduced a range of risks that you need to go back and look at. And we're kind of moving into a data protection world now whereby you have a mix of company data sitting on a device that also has personal data on it. So if someone says, well, they lost a phone and that phone had their emails on it, how are you going to prevent that data from being accessed by whoever finds the phone. So do you know what security is on the phone? Do you know if it's pin locked? Do you know if it's encrypted? You know, if it's not your device, how are you going to remotely wipe it? And then how can you remotely wipe it? Because the individual's personal data is on there, their photos and things like that. Did they ever agree to allowing you to remotely wipe that device? So you have all, all kinds of a quandary of a problem in that event. So it's better to think about that now before the event arises. And if it turns out that you've allowed people to access, to use untrusted devices to get at your data, you should definitely come back around again and say, well, how do we manage that risk? How do we remove the risk, hopefully, or contain it, or at least get to a point where you'll accept the level of risk that you're now running? So I guess it was needs must get get in place so that we can actually work from home. And now it wasn't done at the time, and ideally, obviously, it would be, or, or Maybe it's about having another look again at how secure all of the devices are and, and the system of working is. What are the yeah. things that could go wrong? Like when it comes to cyber, is 
you know, the big risks are, is it hacking? Is it, you know, some emails getting through from nefarious sources and documents being downloaded that introduce viruses into a system? Is it people kind of trying to con you into giving over information or something like that that you shouldn't do? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those things existed regardless of this here. The most likely way the organization is going to have a cyber event is somebody sends a malicious email to a staff member and that staff member is fooled into acting upon it. So whether it's a link that results in them downloading something, then downloads onto their PC and spreads some kind of virus or, or malware or ransomware around the network, or they click in a link and give away their login credentials. Those types of things have always been a risk. And the fact that an individual is now working from home rather than from the office, those risks wouldn't necessarily significantly have changed, but they are significant risks. The piece about, you know, in the past, if they could only access company data from a company device that was located in a secure company location, and now they can access company data from an untrusted device from any location, then you've introduced a range of risks in that the location has changed. You don't no longer trust the location and the device has changed and you no longer trust the device. So if you've gone that route and it was a tough one because you wouldn't be thanked for saying, well, we couldn't enable our organization to continue to operate because we couldn't guarantee the security of the data. You know, no one's going to thank you for that. So in the rush, in the lightning pace that was needed, there might have been decisions made or there might have been things introduced without conscious knowledge of what was being done. Sam, um, if you had to put a percentage on that, looking at the financial services regulated industry, what percentage of the industry, just a gut feel, would you say are in a really good position right now? And what percentage do you think need to probably do a bit more work to double check what they've done and ensure compliance and no gaps are there? <laughs> I don't know if I could say percentages. I would think I would go with, I would nearly say if I was talking to a CFO or a COO who has been told IT is their responsibility, a CFO, COO or experts in their field, IT is not one of those fields usually. So they will be trusting their IT providers or whoever it is that provides IT for them. I would nearly be asking the CFO or the COO a certain set of questions. And then from those questions and the responses, I would kind of say, well, they, they fall into one of three states if they're not quite sure what's going on and they're kind of saying, well, we have an IT provider, we assume they're doing the right thing, then that to me is a hopeful state. You're hopeful that it's fine. If they're able to say, well, we do have an IT provider and I am absolutely confident that they're doing the right things because they've told me these things and, and they've told me why this is right, then they're moving more into a comfortable state. They are somewhat comfortable. Now, there might be blind spots there, but at least they feel they feel they have evidence from their IT provider that the right things are being done. But where they need to be is where they say, yes, my IT provider has told me these things, but they're giving me this evidence on a monthly basis that our data is only being accessed from these devices. These devices are secure. These people are known. These locations are known, whatever it is. And then you're moving into the provable state. And I think in the normal course of events, a regulated firm should be in the provable state. So not only should they be comfortable, that things are being done the correct way, they also need to be able to prove it. And just make it really practical, a provable state looks and feels like what? It's the phrase of, I think it's Google have it, it's trust but verify. You trust your IT providers, you trust your whatever, because you can't know everything. But you also verify it, so you look for evidence. So you're provided with evidence of, 
these are the events that happened in the IT world within your infrastructure. These are the events that happened and events happen all the time. There's people out there always trying to break in and do things. This is how it was responded. This is why it was not an issue. Or this is how it got through a defense. And this is what we, these are the steps we took to deal with that. This is what we've learned from it. So it's the constant learning, it's the constant monitoring, and it's the evidence of that. How far away do you think we are from a very public, real hack in the regulated industry? These things happen all the time, but I don't think people really take much notice of it until it's either themselves or it's a firm that they know. If you look at the data protection side of the world, I mean, the number of data, personal data breaches that are reported to the regulator is insane. And a lot of those might be staff error, but a lot of those might be a third party, you know, malicious action on a third party. But then go back to it again and you look at, well, how did it start? A lot of the time it starts with the malicious entity sending an email to a staff member, the staff member inadvertently being fooled by it, and then that kicks off a chain of events. So while you might have technology, and you know, I love technology, you have, might have all these technology bits to secure the data. But if you have an individual that doesn't understand the role they play, then it's no different than you have your house, you have your locks and your windows, but you have your six-year-old opening the door to whoever rings the bell. Hmm, good point. And I'm saying that because I spend a lot of time at home now and my six-year-old is opening the door to anyone that rings the bell. So, <laughs> so nearly in the real world, you think about your house, you think about the things that are valuable to you in your house and you think about how you secure those things. But you need to recognize that locking the windows, locking the doors is fine, but there's other ways for people to get in and, and the easiest way for people to get in is to just ask. I wonder what the regulators take is on all of this, Danny. I guess I'm particularly interested in the firms who have had to respond at lightning speed without necessarily being 100% compliant, because let's be real, this is a very unique situation, but are now going back and documenting or as trust verified, as Sam just said, now going back and redoing that process. Is that frowned upon by the regulator? Or is the regulator a bit like, well, it's COVID-19 and you know, we're going to call you a few times a week, but as long as it eventually gets done, is that realistic? Or um, It's an interesting one, right? So the, generally, the regulator's job is to make everybody do their job better. So no matter which of the three categories a firm is in, even if you're in the, the very good category, the regulator will always push you to do better because new risks emerge and, and things can be done better. They will always expect improvement. And they will always expect firms to try, you know, not to sit on their hands or rest on their laurels and move on. When it comes to the situation we're in at the moment, the regulator will be practical. They will understand that you've had to move quickly, that you are doing the best that you can do at that particular time, taking into account your obligations. Once you have got through this this first initial phase, then you're revisiting and looking to do it better. And then you're revisiting and looking to do it better. There will be an understanding from the regulator's perspective that this was done in some instances and some parts of it done very quickly and may not be perfect, but was as good as it could be at that time with an expectation that you will revisit and try and improve. Now, that isn't a free hand, though, for firms when it comes to cybersecurity for a couple of reasons. One is that regulated firms are under regulatory obligations to have business continuity plans in place. So the regulator will expect that firms, when it came to pushing the button to have to move to work from home, that they were starting from a place where they had a plan that existed and had been tested and worked, albeit that the scale and the duration is longer than we would have seen in other BCP situations like you know, storms and what have you. 
And on top of that, then, cybersecurity has been something that the regulator has been interested in and asking firms about for a while. Their guide, their cross-sectoral guidelines, I think, are 2016. They did a dear CEO letter 2017, and they did thematic inspection and dear CEO letter to industry only in early March. So, so the regulator will have expected, again, on the cybersecurity front, that firms are not starting from zero, that they're starting from a base where this is already on the agenda and they already have cybersecurity plans, that there's some sort of inventory of their assets, that it's something that's on the agenda for the board. They're, they'd already worked and are working on introducing a new pre-approved control function. I think it's proposed to be PCF 49 on chief information officers. So you can see that they're already of a mind that IT and cybersecurity should be something very much in the forefront of firms. So while the regulator would have some I don't know, leeway is the right word, but you know they'll, they'll have some understanding that firms have had to move quickly and will want to revisit and do things better. They would still expect that firms are starting from a decent level, a decent base uh, cybersecurity risk management, and not starting from zero. But and on top of that, they have been in touch with, for example, fund management companies and are asking for weekly updates on five different items from every manco. And one of those items is BCP, and one of them is cybersecurity. So they will certainly be interested to know how firms are performing now and what they're doing to get better. And they will understand that there will have been stresses and strains and demands in putting in place BCP and cyber security arrangements around that. I don't think to be terribly tolerant if firms are starting from a very low base. They shouldn't have been. They should have been a further up the curve than that. Sam, I've been hearing that a lot of regulated firms are getting phone calls a lot more often than before. Do you know of any firms right now that are getting these type of calls in the area of cybersecurity? And I guess I'm curious as to what are the questions specifically about cybersecurity right now? You mean the firms are being asked by, by their clients what they're doing in this space? The CBI is asking regulated firms or checking in or calling them to see progress on several different areas. But I'm just wondering, what is the CBI asking specifically in the area of cybersecurity? Or what do you think they're looking for? I think Danny mentioned it there. I mean, they, they issued quite a good document in, I think it was November 2016, around their expectations of cybersecurity. And I think within that were four pillars. But when you actually got into it, only one of the pillars was really about the tech side of cybersecurity. A lot of it was just into how are you feeding this into your risk management frameworks? How are you reporting it up through your governance? And and again, I think Danny mentioned that the letter that, that they've sent out to asset management firms to make sure that the board is aware of their expectations and you know, what they should be doing. I think maybe in this COVID world, maybe they're, they're seeing the reality of firms to do what was right for their customers. They had to move at lightning speed to ensure they're capable of operating from remote locations. And they are probably cognizant of the fact that that might have opened up additional risks and are now, they're coming back around to say, well, you know, don't just rest on your laurels now. You need to make sure that you've identified those risks and, uh, and you have a a pragmatic plan to deal with those risks. Have you got any thoughts on what a pragmatic plan should look like? Just a high level bullet? I think it goes back to, you look at the firm, what kind of state was the firm in before COVID arrived? So if they're in a a provable state before COVID, then you look at, well, what have you done since then? What have you had to do? So if you had the traditional BCP plan of the second site where you were going to send a lot of your staff to work from there, then that isn't a workable solution here. So you've obviously found another way to enable them to work from home. So if they're working from home, 
there are elements of the physical security about home, which is more policies and staff awareness. In the past, you would have talked about people working from coffee shops. That's not likely here anyway. But I think on the device side, if they're working from home, what are they using? And if they're using a device that hasn't been issued by the organization, then I would think that's where they need to focus their attention. That and the idea that if, you know, when they're logging into systems, is there, are there restrictions on the systems to ensure that that individual is who they say they are and they're coming from a location that you would expect them to come from? As an example, if a firm has Office 365 as their email environment, by default, that is accessible to anyone from any device around the world once someone has a username and password. But there are very simple steps you can take within Office 365 to restrict those things down. And the most important one is enabling two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. So an individual has to have their mobile phone to put in a security code. So if someone was able to get a staff member's username and password, perhaps because the staff member clicked on a malicious email and entered in their username and password on a a malicious website, with two-factor authentication, that won't be enough for an unauthorized individual to gain access to the company's email system. So it's looking at what has changed since COVID in terms of where the data is and where the individuals are and the devices that the individuals are using, looking at what had to be opened up to enable access from different locations and what has that opened up in terms of risk and how do you bring those risks back down? I'm just wondering from a human behavior perspective, because a lot of how you protect yourself and your firm from cybersecurity is around how people behave and how they follow the policies and and the training that they've received. I wonder, is there a risk or is there an issue with people now working from home and working in a very different environment that that there's a risk human behavior does something to mean that where they would have followed procedures with the uncertainty or the different environment that they forget to do that or that things slip through that wouldn't have done when you're sitting in an office in your suit nine to five? Yeah, I mean, we could go down a whole, whole rabbit hole here, but, you know, the first thing is, going back to the device they're using. So they're at home, if they've been given a company device, but they're at home, they're probably mixing personal computer use with company computer use. So while I've talked about the concerns and the risks that you're exposed to, if they're using a personal laptop, if they're using a corporate laptop, but they're using the corporate laptop for personal purposes, then have they been told what the company policy is on that? So whatever about them going on to Amazon to buy God knows whatever, in their lunch hour, they might be doing other things using the laptop as part of their private lives that the company doesn't want to be aware of, but unfortunately is probably yeah. going to become aware of it because they're using a company device. And I would, I would add to that, Sam, as well, just from just human behavior specific only, the environment is one of the greatest influencers on the individual. So we've just observed firms take their entire staff and change the environment quite dramatically overnight. So there's a different mindset, a different experience, a different focus, a different set of priorities, just because the environment has changed. So I would say, Mm -hmm. yes, that's something that is definitely worth being mindful of. And then the second thing is the not knowing the impact of. So now I'm in a brand new environment. I might have a corporate laptop and a personal laptop, and I've just ordered some Amazon stuff for my gaff off the corporate laptop, not fully appreciating the impact that that has. So until I hear about an employee, or like you said, Sam, unless I hear about a firm that I personally know, it's not really real to me. But we have been having conversations over the last week about a couple of individuals at different 
regulated firms who have experienced what's the term sextortion, Sam? Yeah, yeah, it's where oh, they've received an email that that suggests that a they've been caught browsing certain websites that their computer is infected, their webcam has been taken over, and they've been recorded through the webcam performing whatever actions, and that material is going to be disclosed online, a center onto all their friends and their family, everyone on their contacts list, and to our friend Google, if they don't pay the ransom. So now as an individual who's in a brand new environment, who doesn't fully understand the implications of the decisions I make from a personal to a corporate laptop, I am inadvertently making myself and maybe the firm vulnerable, a malware, or there's several different types of emails that have been going around. I know of at least five this week. Sam, I don't know how many you know, but it's kind of irrelevant at the moment. Or it could be best summed up as something you said a couple of weeks back about drive-by hackings. And just because you're a small firm doesn't mean you're not vulnerable because of the drive-by hacking uh, mentality. So I'm coming back to Danny's comment earlier about the human behavior impact of changing our environment and not knowing the full impact of cross-pollinating a personal and a corporate laptop does allow us to remain various degrees of vulnerable until we hear or experience ourselves something that deeply affects us as an individual. The sextortion being the most current and common at the moment, given the time of COVID-19 and, and how we're operating. Does that make sense, Danny? It does. And it sounds to me then, Sam, if, if you're looking at your, if I'm in a regulated firm, I've moved at speed to deploy BCP and get everybody working from home. And I'm now going to pause and think again about how I'm doing my cybersecurity. Part of that is looking at what I did before and what I'm doing now, my devices and how secure they are. But I think maybe a part of it is also a refresher training or a specific piece of training or some sort of a get together with the team to talk about the differences between their old work environment and this work environment and from a, a cybersecurity perspective and just making sure everybody's alive to what could go wrong and then documenting that and proving that you've taken these steps so that you can demonstrate that to the regulator or to your clients. But really what you, I guess you don't want to do is, well, certainly do not want to be the firm that suffers a cybersecurity incident, but I think you also don't want to wait until another firm appears suffers a cybersecurity incident before you take action and look to just make sure your perimeters are as secure as you can make them. I think you're never absolutely secure. And it's just the nature of it when, when you're managing risks, whether it's security or anything else, you're managing them to the point where you can tolerate the risks that remain. So despite best efforts, a firm could still fall victim to a cyber event, a cybersecurity attack or a breach. You know, and if a nation state decides to turn their attention to your firm, you're dealing with a James Bond, you don't stand much of a chance. But that's not the risk you're dealing with. If it goes back to the whole house analogy, you're not dealing with James Bond trying to break into your house. You're dealing with Joe Scumbag down the road who just happens to be passing by leaves a window open, takes the opportunity to... Or your six-year-old opens the door. Well, yes. So if it's just going by passing, passing the place, obviously, more likely than not, they prefer not to have human interaction. But when it's cyber, there isn't really face-to-face interaction. But if it's a six-year-old, if it's the equivalent of your staff member receiving an email, and they haven't been trained to say, these are the telltale signs of someone trying to con you, then what chance have they got? I mean, we hear about the con men who attack pensioners and fool them into saying that they're from the ESB or they're from whatever. They get into the house, they ransack the house. And you think that's so sad. But if staff aren't trained, 
then you're pretty much leaving staff in the same situation. They're vulnerable. They don't know what to look for when someone knocks on the door, when someone sends them an email. Do you think that there's an appetite on the employee side to really take the cybersecurity training seriously? I'll tell you when it's, when I've done it, and I do find it quite interesting to do these things because you do get the scenarios from people about what they faced, but what they're most interested in and what really gets their attention is when you talk to them about their personal situation. So while they're there to protect the company, when you tell them that cybersecurity in your personal life is pretty much the same as it is in your corporate life, and you talk about how they can be conned, then suddenly they get interested. So suddenly they become very interested in two-factor authentication, in securing their mobile phones, in backing up their photos, in storing things in the right place. All so of the I think things what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're saying is all regulated firms need to be running training on how not to be a victim of sextortion. They should, and they probably are. Or I would yeah. hope to think that they have done at least something around making people aware of how they play a role in the firm's cybersecurity defenses, in the firm's general security defenses. But making it hyper-relevant to the individual, to the employees, so that they're not personally invested in their own safety, well-being, and security, Mm -hmm. which indirectly spills over to the firm and is a benefit for the firm. Um, Yeah, I mean, your behavior is behavior. You know, I mean, you're not a completely different person when you clock out as when when you're logged in. But I think the training can be a whole gamut of things. But and I suppose, Shannon, maybe you know more about this than I do, but training someone and saying, this is what you should do, great, lovely. They walk away, you send them a PowerPoint slide deck, and that's that. And a week later, they've forgotten it. The testing bit that needs to follow up after that, where in a safe environment, you test them. So you send them an email, which is just like a dodgy, malicious email, and you see what they do. You don't target them on an individual level to say, well, you kept on failing that test, but it's an indication of how effective your training is. Brilliant. Because yeah. if you're doing the training to tick the box to say to the regulator, I've done the training, you're not dealing with the real problem here, which is your staff are your weakest link. So if you're dealing with the real problem, which is how do I make my staff no longer be the weakest link, then you will lead down the road of telling them what goes on, telling them how not to be a victim, and testing them for their own benefit. So seeing how they deal with it. I've seen the best trained people with IT backgrounds and they still fall for the scams because they're hit at just the right time with just the right type of information. So some of the scams can be really hyper relevant about you're buying a house. This is one that goes around. You're buying a house, you're engaging with your solicitor. The solicitor comes back and says, right, the deal is done. I need you to transfer the money into our client account, right? And if that's all done by email, And the solicitor sends the IBAN details back to the individual to say, this is the IBAN of the client account. Then all it takes is for an individual, a malicious individual, to have gained access into the the solicitor's email system or into your email system. Adjust that IBAN number and then let the email through. Wow. And you've just sent your deposit to the wrong place. You said something there, Sam, that from a human behavior perspective is so important. Simulation. So testing through an actual experience or a simulated experience that allows employees to learn, that gives the firm a visibility of how employees are doing. Simulation is by far one of the most effective ways to train, but have movable metrics so that you can see a distinct change in behavior before simulation and post-simulation. Yeah. You know, and it'll prove to you if the training is effective. So you can't say our training is effective because we had everyone in a room for an hour and they went through a PowerPoint slide deck. Is that effective? Are you getting the results you need? So testing in anything to do with risk, you have to test. You say, well, I've got backups. 
Well, the backups are no good unless you've tested them. I've got firewalls. Well, the firewalls are no good unless you tested them. I've got staff trained. Well, the training's no good unless you tested them. So like a lot of the evidence that the regulator looks for, that stakeholders will look for, is just evidence to say, well, how effective, you know, what we've done. You've told me loads of things that we've done. How effective is that? So I see a lot of IT providers, managed service providers saying to firms, well, firewall, you have this, you have that, you have the other, you have the other. And it's loads of techie stuff. They don't answer the question, how is that effectively protecting the organization? And when you go at it from that, everything that we do around cybersecurity, around anything, you start with how effective is it? The other thing you mentioned there that resonated is where you said, oh, you're ticking the box to satisfy the regulator. You know, you hear that more often than you'd like, but there's certainly in a, some firms and some mindsets take the approach of, well, I'm doing it because the regulator told me I've got to satisfy the regulator. But actually, if you step back, you're not doing it because the regulator told you to do it. Or, or the regulator didn't tell you to do it just so that you can tick a box and get back to them. The regulator has identified a risk to your business and to your consumers and your clients that you have to take steps to address, whether it's cyber or anything else. So you're not doing it for the benefit of telling the regulator. You're doing it for the benefit of your own business and the risks to your own business. And I think if people perceive it that way, like you say, bringing the training down to the, how it affects me personally, bringing it to businesses, this isn't about ticking the box for the regulator. This is about your business and, and your clients and your own viability to just be more personally invested in it rather than thinking it's a compliance exercise. Yeah. I mean, I think the regulator guidance when it comes to this stuff is if you get that guidance and you go, oh, I never thought of that, then it's like the last line of defense the regulator is saying to you, you do know you should be doing this. When you get guidance from a regulator, what should be happening is you look at it and go, yeah, I'm comfortable there. Maybe I'm not provable there, but I'm comfortable. You don't want to be looking at the regulator guidance and either being in despair. And I would like to think that you're not in the hopeful stage, that you're hopeful you comply. You should be in a position whereby you are comfortable that what they're suggesting or what they're expecting, you're comfortable that you're doing it now. And you should just be moving into, okay, I can prove that I'm doing it now. But anything around cybersecurity from the regulator of what I have seen, you don't sit there going, arguing the point. You go, yeah. I suppose in a way, they're nearly the industry body saying to you, these are the risks that your peers are exposed to. We're seeing the issues that are arising with your peers. We're letting you know so that you don't have the same thing. The worst position to be in is all of this guidance, like November or September 2016, this stuff came out. And again, in 2016, it should have been well known to two firms. But the worst place to be is you have an event, you have a cybersecurity breach of some sort. And then someone turns around to you and says, it was so basic. I can't believe that they got through that way. So all these media reports about sophisticated cyber events, the vast majority of them are not sophisticated. But it's just nice to be able to say, well, you know, we did the best we could, but it was a sophisticated criminal. It probably wasn't sophisticated. It's more likely it happened because the firm didn't do the basic stuff that the industry the peers, the regulator have been talking about for quite a while. Given that we're likely to be in this new normal forever, and certainly in this working from home for the foreseeable and cyber is going to be part of our conversations for a while, is there a advice you can give to firms for things to do as soon as they finish listening to this podcast to make their own systems and procedures and parameters safer? If they've been able to get their firm to work in this new world and minimize the disruption, then they've done a good job. At the end of the day, they need to make sure that their clients are, are being serviced. In terms of the, the tactical immediate things, I would say have a look at what's changed in terms of the devices that people are using to access data. Can you trust those devices? And if you can't, 
start looking at how you can contain the risk, how you can contain your data, secure it off, so that that untrusted device doesn't cause a risk to your data. In terms of the, the longer term, at some point, we will go back to normal. I'm going to say normal in quotes. But now that people are working remotely, um, I think for a lot of firms, uh, or at least for staff in a lot of firms, it has opened their eyes to a lot of the benefits. Uh, obviously, there's, a, there's, there's downsides where you've got your kids in the house and you've got your um, beloved partner in the house that you now want to kill. But eventually, people will go back to work, they'll go back to school, and, you, and you'll go, well, why the hell am I on a bus or in a car for an hour and a half a day you know, into work and an hour and a half out of work? So I think it has maybe opened the eyes to people, even those that are in traditional financial firms, um, that the, the whole idea of flexible working, remote working, um, is something that we should do and, and continue to do. And this isn't just about, you know, a temporary thing. Maybe the firm should think about, well, why don't we make this permanent? And then what can we do uh, in terms of our technology, our, our policies and our people around enabling that kind of flexible remote working, but enabling it in a secure and compliant way? And think about that. So wherever you are now, maybe think about um, when you have time to think. Think about you know, what is the roadmap to get you from where you are now, which, which might be a bit higgly-piggly and, and maybe there's a few risks and a few things. I saw your roadmap, Sam, over at your website. Um, I think we might just link that in here because that roadmap seems quite concise um, and a nice starting place for firms to either audit what they've done to date and say, yep, we're good, or maybe find a little gap or two to say, well, maybe this is where we focus on now. Yeah, I mean, I, thanks, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of see it as the, the, the four W's. It's the, you know, where, the where phase, the, the what changes need to be made, why are you doing it, and then what you do now, what you do immediately. And then the where phase is that kind of saying, well, where are we now? Where could we be? You know, and, and in terms of where could we be, we take into account the risk appetite of the firm, the budget capabilities of the firm, the capabilities of the IT providers, all of those things. And from that mix of what our constraints are, what our risks are, what our budgets are, and what the possibilities are, we come out with, well, pragmatically, what is the right place for us to go to? So you've, you've a sense of where you now, you've a sense of where you really want to go to. And then we identify, well, what needs to change to get you there? And then we talk to your stakeholders, your board members, your risk and your compliance teams to ensure that you're reflecting their concerns and giving them confidence that you've got the right roadmap. And then once you kind of have that that business case, and everyone has agreed with where you're going, we then break it out into the iterations of, well, what will we do first? What iteration will we do? And that breaks into planning it, performing it, and then once it's there, persisting it, and all the while making sure that you can prove it so that every step you've taken and the direction you're going, you can prove to your stakeholders and to your regulators that it is appropriate for your firm. Nice one. Thank you, Sam. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this podcast. Very interesting, very topical. And as we stretch into the future of working from home and and even beyond that, as you said, Sam, where we look and think, is it really necessary to have a big commute every day of the week when maybe we could make more use of this technology and this flexibility into the future? So for me, again, don't waste a crisis. Think about the future. Think about how your business can be done better once this has passed. And also, from a regulator's perspective, always do things better. Always seek to do things better. Don't sort of down tools and pat yourself on the back that you've managed to deploy a BCP and work from home. Look at your security risks. 
don't be the one that falls foul of a cybersecurity incident and always look to do things better. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Equest podcast. We catch you next time. You've been listening to the Aquas podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.